Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Football Social Daily. It's away, the away day for the lads as Newcastle get put into the Champions League group of their dreams. Trips to Dortmund, Paris and even the San Siro on the cards for the tune as the draw has been made for this season's Champions League group stages. Get your yellow ties out too because it's transfer deadline day. What deals could be done before the window shuts later on today? And tonight, Luton Town will host their first game of Premier League football £400,000 and a new stand later, Kenilworth Road is back open for business. Lots to discuss on today's Football Social Daily, the award-winning podcast dedicated to Premier League football. So hit follow on your favourite podcast platform to stay notified whenever a new episode is ready. In fact, we probably need you all to subscribe as the numbers absolutely tanked yesterday with these two in charge. Joel Tudor and Marley Anderson are here again. How are you doing, boys? Niall, that is absolute lies. I think the listeners are thinking I miss his Mancunian gorgeous <laughs> accent from yesterday. Where's it gone? I mean, I listened to the first two minutes and I heard Marley talking about sliding through dog shit. So I was like, well, you know, the podcast is going well in my absence. That's what it's all about. Sunday League is what it's, it's, that's, that's the beauty of it. No one knows how old I am as well, my two mates, which is fine. I can I can keep that under wraps for a while. It's not a problem to me. I'll just keep claiming I'm oh, 27 we, every you may, year. You may as well put on record. You may as well put on record how old you are. I'm 27. I have been for the last three years. Put on record you. how old you actually are, because I think everyone believes you're 47. <laughs> I'm definitely not 47. I look, I'll be very happy if I look like this at 47. Um, anyway. The numbers haven't tanked, but we always like extra subscribers. So if you've not hit follow or subscribe on this podcast before and you've been listening to us for a while, it would mean a lot. It just means that you'll be notified every time we release a new episode. And whilst we're going through a few changes at Football Social Daily, just trying to get our schedule up together uh, after a few changes behind the scenes, then that's the best way to stay in tune with us. Um, it's not been as regular uploading the shows recently. So hitting subscribe or follow is the, is the best way to stay in touch with what we're doing. Now, today's a busy one, lads. Lots to talk about on the podcast. It is transfer deadline day and we'll get stuck into the potential transfer news across the Premier League a little bit later. But first, we've got to talk about the Champions League group stage draw, which was made for this season yesterday. Manchester United, Newcastle United, Manchester City and Arsenal are all in the competition. Let's start, though, with Newcastle because you have to when you look at their group. They are in pot four. They're in group F, PSG, Dortmund and AC Milan will all be arriving at St. James's. Some of the biggest clubs in European football, Newcastle will be taking on. How do you feel, Marley, about that, being a Newcastle fan? AC Milan, Dortmund and PSG. That's what it's about. You don't want you don't want Red Star, Belgrade, Lens and flipping Benfica, <laughs> do you? Like well, that's that. what Man City have got. <laughs> yeah, very, very true, yeah. Another easy draw for them. We'll come on to that in a minute, but yeah. yeah. Arsenal as well, Christ. Um, but yeah, nah, you want that. You want, you want the big... The big, big names, you know, we're going to finally get the answer to the question who who wins in a foot race, Kylian Mbappe or Dan Byrne? Like, can <laughs> can Mbappe run fast enough to escape 
two meter long legs. Like, you know what I mean? Um, it's it's going to be interesting, but, you know, for all I'm hoping now is that I get a, get a ticket for one of the home games to, to experience that that proper, you know, mad atmosphere of, of a night game under the lights. You hear the theme um, and all the rest of it. So it's um, it's exciting, but... I mean, I was watching the watching the draw, and as soon as that, you know, the the pot four teams were about to come out, I was I was thinking, right, who can we who can we go into a, a group with here? Because obviously, you can't go in with Arsenal, you can't go in with um, with Man United or or um, Man City. So I was like, mm, right, who's that leave us with? And then I seen um, AC get drawn with Dortmund and PSG. <laughs> And I text you two. I was like, "Here we go. We're getting this group." And just as soon as, as soon as that name came out, I was like, "Come on, Eric Abidal, anything but F." And then he holds up F, and I'm like, "Oh, for God's sake!" Here you know what? Go. Though I said to you, it's part of the initiation phase of Champions League football. It's like when Manchester City first started getting it, and they got Napoli peak Napoli, by the way, with Edison Cavani and everyone else. And I remember there was a season where they got ten or eleven points in their group. And it was the highest amount of points a team's ever gotten where they've not gotten out of the group stages. So good luck to you guys. I feel like the football gods just put a nice curse on any newcomer into the Champions League. Well, football-wise, that's going to be tough to get out of the group. But from a fan perspective, which is what you're talking about, Marley, it couldn't really have gone much better. Three of the biggest clubs in European football. Yeah, um, I'm I'm very happy we got AC Milan. Um, I think you know the, the narrative of Sandro Tonali going straight back um, you know, two months after he joined is is great. Um and also there's the we get to say the old saying of have you ever have you ever seen a Macam in Milan? Which our our um CEO Darren Neal said in an actual official interview with UEFA yesterday, which was great. Um so you get that away day, you know, the San Siro is still standing. I think they've they've scrapped plans to uh, to knock that down now. So we're gonna get to play there. Um, and we're in the last ever uh, group of death because you know the the, the format's changing next year to a a big thirty six team league or whatever it is. Um, so it's nice to have the final group of death. Hopefully we can finish above one of the um, above one of those teams at least, um, and at least sort of drop into the Europa League, which which would be absolutely fine by me. But yeah, if we can if we can, I don't think we're we're incapable of beating AC Milan. And Dortmund, I think PSG is probably a stretch too far. But even them, you know, they've not got Messi anymore. They've not got Neymar anymore. Um, and Mbappe is the pro- is pretty much the only one who's who they pin the hopes on now. And even he's going in in a year's time. So, you know, does he does he fancy it? I don't know. Could you know? Does he fancy the the lineup against uh, against Dan Burn? He might he might poo himself and uh, go into his shell. You never know. Uh, let's talk about Manchester City though. They are the defending champions after winning the Champions League for the very first time last season. And they've got a pretty easy group. And there tends to be this stigma around Manchester City that they always get easy cup draws. They always get easy Champions League draws. Leipzig, Red Star Belgrade and Young Boys, the teams in Group G that will be competing alongside Manchester City, Joel. Now, you're going to be slightly biased here because you're a Manchester United fan, but 
I mean, we said it couldn't have gone much better for Newcastle from a fan perspective, but from a purely footballing perspective, you couldn't have asked for better teams for Manchester City in their group, really. To be honest, I think part two was the most difficult part out of all of them, and they've somehow managed to skip every other better team than Leipzig. You know, Atletico Madrid with their Dortmund with their Real Madrid with their Inter Milan with their, and they've managed to get the team that they beat seven nil at home against. So. I mean, it's, it's an easy draw, but I mean, it was like I was saying previously, when City first started getting into the Champions League, everyone forgets that their groups were really difficult, where they were getting Real Madrid, Bayern Munich, Napoli, when they were at their peak. And it was difficult for them, um, where they used to get really high points, tallies, and never even got out of the groups. But again, like you say, they're almost a victim of their own success now, which is they're able to be in the top pot and they're able to have the chance to play against these weaker sides. I just want to... Um, bit of a note as well I loved when Joe Cole drew out Red Star Belgrade and obviously it was in the Serbian way of the I don't even know how to pronounce it Sedvena Sedvadza or something like that as soon as he saw the word he was like forget that Red Star (laughs) Belgrade that's how I'm pronouncing it but it's straightforward relatively easy to get out of that I reckon they'd be able to get out of that group with their B team pretty easily to be honest so Pep will be massively happy with that I think well as for Arsenal it's their first foray into the Champions League for a long while as well not quite as long as Newcastle Marley but it's going to be difficult for them to try and get readjusted to Champions League football again that's what Mikel Arteta has tried to address in this summer transfer window by bringing in a bit more depth because they're going to be playing midweeks as well as the weekends this season they've got Sevilla PSV and Lens in their group how do you think they'll get on uh, that's that's pretty straightforward, isn't it? Really, I think you know the the joke was that Arsenal have managed to draw a Europa League group in the Champions League. Um, with as soon as Sevilla came out of of pot A, that's the one everyone wants, I think, um, because you know they ultimately they were they were awful in in Spain last season. Um, and then they've uh, you know they've they've won the Europa League, which is just sort of rec- um you know, par for the course for them. They always they always win it somehow. So it's one of them where you um you look at that and you think PSV, you know, they've just had to qualify through a couple of rounds of of um of qualifying or whatever, they smashed ranges. And then it's um it looks pretty straightforward, I think, for them. So they'll be they'll be buzzing because I think they wanted I think the the sort of narrative isn't the same as Newcastle where Newcastle want the want the biggest teams because they've not been there for twenty years. I think Arsenal want an, a nice easy route into the last sixteen and, and the knockout stages because they've they've been burnt so many times in the past. They end up drawing Bayern no matter what happens, don't they? They always get Bayern in the first knockout stages and Bayern absolutely tear them a new one. Um so hopefully they'll be they'll be hoping to top that group. But it would be typical Arsenal if they top that group and Man United edged out Bayern <laughs> and then Arsenal drew Bayern in like the last 16 or something like that. But it's, uh, it would be funny, but it's it's a good one for Arsenal. They'll, they'll be happy with that because then they can they don't have to sort of fully focus on, on getting through that group and trying to, to establish a, a lead in the league in the first three months of the season. Bayern Munich, as Marley says, in Manchester United's group. So what do you make of that, Joel, with Copenhagen and Galatasaray as well? Cautiously optimistic. And the only reason I say that is because we've been burning the past few years with group stages. I mean, there was a group stage not long ago that had Paris Saint-Germain, Leipzig and Istanbul, Bishakshir and 
I have nightmares about Istanbul Bishakshir when I can still see Demba Bar running onto that loose ball behind Victor Lindelof right now in my in my eyes very vividly. I mean, going away to the likes of Galatasaray has never been an easy place to go to. I mean, the atmosphere there, I'd love to go and witness that. And then Copenhagen, obviously you've got uh, Rasmus Hoyland playing against his former club. But Bayern are... I think one of the tournament favourites in my opinion especially ever since getting Kane to be honest in general the recruitment that they've had this season you know Kim Min-jae Palina who's about to go from Fulham to Bayern and Harry Kane I think it instantly makes them probably them and City the favourites to win the tournament this year so that game in itself will be a great occasion at both Old Trafford and at the Allianz as well but I mean as as things stand to finish second I think is our best our best chance I would say I, I'm pretty confident we can beat Copenhagen and Galatasaray especially at home um, and pr- most likely away so it's going to be a I think we could have got a way more difficult group look at Newcastle for example but I'm cautiously optimistic of our chances to get through okay well that's the Champions League group stage draw done and dusted now we're going to talk about deadline day because the transfer window closes tonight which players are on the move we'll talk about it next on Football Social Daily Welcome back to Football Social Daily, the award-winning Premier League podcast. And right throughout the summer, we've been talking about the potential transfers happening in the Premier League. And one happened last night that maybe not too many people were expecting. I know a few Manchester City fans are a bit disappointed about this. It's no longer Prem soon come for Cole Palmer. It's Chelsea soon come because he's signed at Stamford Bridge for an undisclosed fee believed to be in the region of £40 million. That is a confirmed deal. Another young player... Marley that Chelsea have managed to get their hands on but as I mentioned some Manchester City fans are a bit disappointed at this move it's one that you're scratching your head about as well I think yeah I I don't get this I don't get it at all I, I don't get the lure of Chelsea when you're at Man City I don't get the you know from from my point of view Cole Palmer's won the treble how old is he 21 something like that he's won the treble he's getting games He's getting enough games. He's already made an impact this year. He scored in the Carab- uh, the Community Shield final. Scored in the UEFA Super Cup. Both winners. Um, and then, sorry, not winners. Uh, you know, deadlock breakers type of thing. Like big goals, basically, is what I'm trying to say. Um, he's under the best manager in the world. He's getting better every week. He's training with insane players. There's Man City going to play 50, 60 games this season. Chelsea are going to play half that. Chelsea have got, you know, 30-odd players. They don't know the best formation. They've got Sterling, Madueke, uh Mudrick, Nkunku, Jackson, all to come back and, you know, get settled in that team. And I just don't think there's enough games for him there. And he, he signed this eight-year contract, which is typical Chelsea, of amortising the uh to the, the fee and it's amortisation FC. It's just, it's, it's another thing of... You know, Chelsea just taking a huge risk. I don't think they, they don't they needed him. I don't think he's a better player than than Nani Madueke, who's looked really good um, in uh, in the the later stages of last season. Um, he was the only one of the big signings that that actually knuckled down and, and played well. Um, Mudrick just has fell off. It's it's even being rumored now that they're just giving up on Mudrick, and it's like he's a hundred million pound player who you signed, you know, not even a year ago. It's 
It's a weird one for me. I don't think Palmer... I don't understand Palmer's logic of going. I really don't. Well, he has gone. And it's another player that Chelsea have managed to secure to a seven-year contract, Joel. I mean, we've spoken about this so many times, so it's almost not worth going over again. But you do wonder, like what Marley says, what Cole Palmer's thinking is behind this move. If he felt ready for the next step, then fair enough. But do you think maybe the enhanced wages over a long period of time might have had something to do with it, even though he is just 21? He's baffled me this one because I think he would have got more game time at City anyway, which is strange to think considering it was always the opposite scenario where youngsters couldn't break through at City because they constantly regenerate with new talented players from abroad, big fees... But in this scenario, like Marley was saying, you know, he was he played a prominent role in winning the Super Cup not long ago. He's been pretty decent, had a good start to the season. But I'm just so baffled that even the transfer fee as a whole, he's not scored a Premier League goal and he's 21. So how does that warrant a 40, 45 million pound fee? It's insane to me, these kind of fees that are being brandished around, especially what City are getting for their youngsters. And I mean, I guess it's testament to how good their youth academy, at youth academy is because... We're seeing the likes of, for example, Romeo Lavia. He went from Southampton and suddenly they've got a 30 million profit on him within a year of buying him from City's academy. So there's obviously potential there and a lot of clubs are realising that. But there's just so much competition at Chelsea for places and they already have a pretty much like-for-like player as in, you know, Madiaki, I think he's pretty good in that position. I feel like they're going to turn Cole Palmer into an almost Phil Foden type role rather than in the wing, someone who can operate in the middle, almost as a number 10. But I still think for that price, not scoring any Premier League goals, it's, I think it's an insane fee to pay. But Chelsea have been so erratic this year in terms of their transfers. I don't it feels like Pochettino doesn't even have a hold of the situation. There's been times in his press conferences where they mention a player like Papa Sar and he said, Who's that? Poch, he's your player. Do you not know what players you actually have on your books <laughs> at the moment? It's 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 embarrassing that though. Because imagine if the player sees that and he thinks the manager doesn't even know him in the changing room. Well, that's because it's fifty of them in there. Papa Sar's that bad. I mean I- I'm not surprised that Pochettino doesn't know who he is. Hang on, isn't isn't Papisar the one at one at Spurs? Isn't you talking about Malangsa? Ah, sorry, Malangsa, Malangsa, <laughs> not Papisar. You two, they're like Poch doesn't even know who he is, and you're talking about a guy who's at another team. Sorry, I mixed Malang-sa. up the Malangsa, Malangsa. Have you got him confused with Papi Gilibodji, who was also a player oh, who was wow. pretty anonymous? Um, all right, well, Cole Palmer is a Chelsea player. Soon, we're expecting it to be confirmed that Alex Iwobi is now a Fulham player. £22 million, the reported figure, being sold by Everton and soon to arrive at Craven Cottage. He won Everton's Player of the Season last year, I think, Marley. So a bit of a surprise, really, to see him leave Goodison Park when he is in fair favour with the supporters who are big fans of him. I know you're not a big fan of him, but in terms of what this does for Everton's squad, does it make them stronger or weaker based on the evidence of last season? You would argue it makes them weaker. Yeah, on on, on paper it makes them weaker, um, unless that paper's the um, the financial sort of balance sheet. Because I I feel like the you know we all know Everton have got no money, and we all know Everton have just gone and um, signed um, Beto from from Udinese, and uh, the other fellow whose name I can never remember. Um, so that that needs balancing, and I think they've looked at Iwobi and gone, do you know what? If we get interest. We got we're happy with Dakure and 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 Onana and Idrissa Gay in midfield and 
Joe Garner can play in midfield as well. Obviously, he's naturally a, a centre midfielder getting played at right back at the minute, but he's um he's Deitch is, is probably happy with that. And even though Iwobi's, in my opinion, crap, um, if you wanna if you can get twenty million for him, twenty million and on, on a balance sheet is quite a lot. Um, it probably takes out the the fee of Beto. I don't know how much he paid for Beto, but it probably takes a huge chunk out of that, if not eclipses it. So um, they need they need to do that now. Everton, this is this is Everton now. I think in January or next summer, whatever happens to Everton, Onana will probably go for quite a big fee purely because they need to, they need to sell him. They need the money. Um, I mean, just just to jump in there, if you look at a club like Wolves, for example, who struggled at the start of the season with defeats to Manchester United, defeat to Brighton, they've ended up beating Everton. But a lot of the frustration from supporters has been at the fact that they've not brought anyone in. Last two days, they've burst into life. They've made some signings. And now Wolves fans are looking forward to what the rest of the season holds. Contrast that with Everton, Joel, who have had a shocking start to the season. They haven't scored. They scraped past Doncaster Rovers of League Two in the Cup midweek. And now they're selling one of their fan favourites and one of their better players on the final day of the transfer window with it not looking like they're going to bring anyone in. It looks like that Shea Adams rumour is going to be quashed because it looks like he might actually be going to Wolves if you read the reports. And they're selling their better players at the end of the window. I mean, that's not going to do anything for fan confidence, is it? Well, I think first and foremost, we've been banging the same drum of Everton needing goals and they're getting rid of a player who's got six goals in four years. <laughs> he's easy on the eye. He's effective on the pitch. I think he's been a pretty good player for them, but he's got f- six goals in four years. That's the bottom line. They need goals. Goals are going to keep them up in this competition and that's the main crux of it all. And I think the issue for Everton, I think the issue with the owners at the moment is that they've spent a lot of money. Everyone forgets they spent a lot of money over these last four or five years, but it's been given in the hands of amateur executives who don't know how to handle that amount of budget. It's been given to Marcel Brands, who's long gone and absolutely smashed it up against the wall on all these poor has-been players from Barcelona and whoever else. And they've literally been either released or sold on a really cut fee. So now Daesh is pretty much clutching at the barrel in terms of how his squad's looking at the moment. I mean, Beto is a punt. I know he scored the other day against Doncaster and I know Everton fans are probably getting excited about it, but he needs to re- he's got so much pressure on his shoulders to actually reproduce now in the Premier League. Did you hear what he said, Joel, in the interview afterwards? He said he said I can't guarantee I can't guarantee goals. <laughs> well, Beto said that. Beto said that, yeah. Sorry, Everton fans, but championship's looking lovely for you lot next season. I mean, you don't want to hear that from a guy you've just paid thirty million for as a striker. But again, it's a punt. It's a desperate punt, and they really have to hope that he can fire straight away. Because if not, I think Everton, like Niles, like Niles alluded to, they've sold one of their best plays in terms of in terms of actual pitch quality, not in terms of output, but pitch quality. And after that, what do you do with it? They've not got a replacement ready. I'll tell you what I have seen from some Everton fans is that against Doncaster, Beto obviously scored, 
but Neil Mopé, I think, played in a two with Beto up front for about 10 minutes. And actually, most Everton fans were quite surprised at how well Mopé played with a person alongside him. And maybe that might be the key to Everton finally scoring some goals. I mean, I wouldn't hang your hat on it because it's not really happened much for him at Everton it's either. It's like going it? back to Ashley Barnes and Chris Wood again, isn't well, it? Well, if it works, it works. That kept Burnley in the Premier League for many years. So if it works for Sean Dyche, then that's the job he needs to do to keep Everton up. Well, yesterday on Football Social Daily, Marley and Joel spoke about the England squad of which Conor Gallagher is in. Tottenham Hotspur interested in the Chelsea midfielder. In all fairness to Gallagher, he's managed to establish himself in the Chelsea team at the start of this season, but he certainly hasn't recaptured the form in a blue shirt in the same way he did wearing the colours of Crystal Palace when he was on loan there a couple of seasons ago. Had a really impressive Premier League season, 21-22, 34 appearances, 8 goals, Marley, but... It looks like Ange Postacoglu might be turning to the young midfielder to bolster his ranks at Tottenham. Yeah, I think um, I think the thing with Gallagher is I think he obviously showed what he can do at um, Crystal Palace in that loan spell where he was he was the best player and you know he was everywhere, scored goals, you know, won tackles, loads of energy, and he had everything. But I think coming back. To you know, coming back to Chelsea, and it's just been a bin fire ever since he come back. Really, and it? it's just there's nothing, there's no consistency. He's he's had a couple of managers. He's played different positions, different roles, um, and it hasn't really. He's not had that same impact. I feel like he's a a player who likes to be a a bigger fish in a smaller pond. Um, like he was at Palace, it was like give it to Connor and and we'll, you know, we'll we'll have some success somewhere. Whereas with Chelsea, it's kind of like. You know they're trying to find themselves too much, and Gallagher's just lost in the in the mix. I think um, I don't see him being in the Chelsea team permanently, type of thing. So I think maybe this this could work for him. But I also think Spurs have had a really good start. Like the the one thing Ange Postecoglou's got right so far is his midfield too: Bissouma and uh, uh, and Saar. You know, not Malang Saar, <laughs> the right Saar. As you said before, actual <laughs> Pape Saar. They've been brilliant so far, and they've got Ben Tanko to come back. Um, Kulisevsky, Madison, Son, all ahead of them, and then uh, and then, you know, that's that's kind of Gallagher's position. So I don't really know how it's going to work, but I'm more confident for his sake that he'd get uh, he'd get more games at Spurs and a nice solid sort of base to which to work off. Because Chelsea's just going to be manic. They've just signed Palmer. You know, the Madawakis there, Sterling's there, Mudrick's there, as we said before. You know, Lavia's there, Caicedo's there, Enzo Fernandez is there. There's about seven players who play where you can you can play and you've got one game a week. I'd, I'd be very tempted to go to Spurs and at least thin the crowd out a bit and just say, you know what, if I'm, if, if this manager wants me, then surely I've, I'm going to get a regular run of games and, and try and earn my place in the England squad rather than just being selected there at the minute purely because there's not that many other centre midfielders out there playing well. Well, talking to central midfield players, whilst we've been recording the podcast, Mateus Nunes has been confirmed as a Manchester City player, arriving from Wolves on what I think is a club record fee of around £53 million. That's from a Wolves perspective. I think that's the highest they've managed to recoup in a transfer fee for any player. He's not been at Molyneux long, but now he's at Manchester City. So that one's being confirmed. And just going the other way, it looks like Joao Cancelo is 
going to sign for Barcelona after falling out of Pep Guardiola last year, but we all kind of knew that he wasn't going to end up back at the Etihad Stadium. Now, obviously, it's quite early doors in transfer deadline day today, lads. We're recording this before midday and it's another 12 hours or so before the deadline closes. So are you expecting anything wild to happen today, Joel, or has it all been a little bit low-key for you this time around? It's never low-key when you're a Manchester United fan on deadline day because something's always happening. I've just seen that Hargreaves, the chief negotiator for United, has just flown into Florence to try and thrash out some kind of deal with Fiorentina for Sofian Amrabat. I don't understand why you would leave it until deadline day to get a jet there. I mean, I would have spent a few days there just enjoying the wine, the Tuscany countryside, and then going out and thrashing a deal. But he seems to be in and out. I don't know if drinking a load of wine is a good idea. He's not, he's not gone for Amrabat. <laughs> I think the Italians will get more out of him. He's, he's gone for an ice cream on the Ponte Vecchio, mate. He's not He's not going for Amrabat at all. He's never even heard of Amrabat. He always heard of gelato on the Ponte Vecchio, and he just wants to sit <laughs> there. Well, this is why Joel could never be a good transfer negotiator, because Marley says... Oh, I'll have an ice cream in Florence. And Joel's like, I'll have a carafe of wine and then go in and try and thrash out some sort of transfer negotiation <laughs> if, on the final day of the deadline. If the Man United CEO <laughs> went, and, went and had a carafe of wine and then thrashed out a deal, you'd end up with Sofian Amrabat on a 12-year contract <laughs> at 700 grand a week <laughs> and wearing the number like 10 shirt or something. You'd be you w- absolutely stupid. You wouldn't. You'd end up with Malang Sar on a 12-year contract at 700 grand a week. <laughs> That's what you'd end up with. Um... It looks like um, Manchester United have secured Sergio Regulon as well on a loan deal. Kukurea was one of the names who was touted. Luke Shaw's injured at the moment, so obviously Manchester United are quite keen to get a left back in. You think that that would be a good fit, Regulon? No, it's purely an emergency loan. I think the main crux of the Kukurea deal not going through was the fact that United wanted a release of the loan in January, which Chelsea were not prepared to do. And obviously Chelsea played, stupidly played Kukurea in the Carabao Cup game, which meant that he'd be cup-tied if he came to Manchester United anyway. So it's almost like they didn't want it to happen in all essence, which I find strange because it might have boosted his value come next year. He might have been a good player for us. But yeah, Reggion, we, we all know what he is. He's not got in the Tottenham team. He had a poor season with Aleti when he went on loan there um, just a year ago. And it's purely an emergency signing. I just think that it's a shame that we've had to resort to just loans and penny pinching to try and shift around a few million here and there just to execute a deal like Amrabat. It's insane to me. And I've always been really clear the best signing we can make this year is getting the Glazers out and signing a new owner because it's it's becoming a bit of a joke at the moment. Okay, well, that's it as far as we're concerned for transfer deadline day. By the time we speak to you next on Monday, there's a high likelihood we'll be discussing things that we didn't even touch upon on today's podcast. That's pretty much how transfer deadline day works in the Premier League these days. But there are other things to focus upon for two Premier League clubs tonight, West Ham and indeed Luton Town, who host their first game of Premier League football ever at Kenilworth Road this evening. We'll talk about it after this. Final part of today's Football Social Daily. If you hit subscribe, that way you'll be notified when a new episode is released. This is an award-winning show, so we like to think we know what we're talking about when we're not getting our SARS mixed up and making stupid predictions like Luton Town to stay up. And it is Luton that we're going to discuss now because they're playing at Kenilworth Road tonight in the Premier League, their first home game of the Premier League era since their promotion from the Championship last season. 
top flight football has been staged at Kenilworth Road in the past, but pre the Premier League years, so before 1992, which was when football was reinvented in inverted commas. But they've spent 400 grand on renovating the stadium, Joel. They've knocked down one of the stands. They've spent 13 weeks rebuilding it. They've had to postpone their first couple of home matches to get the stand up to standard and get things ready for this game tonight against West Ham. How do you see their potential at home this season? Because everyone seems to be saying that if Luton are going to stay up, the Kenilworth Road factor is going to be what makes the difference. Well, first and foremost, I'm kind of glad that it's actually a real thing with the amount of times I've seen pictures of it in the last few months. I I was beginning to think it was some urban myth, the urban legend that it even existed with the amount of memes of, do you know that Luton playing Kenilworth Road? It's in the back gardens of people's houses. Okay, it's actually real now. Thank God for that. But it's, it's vital for their survival. I mean, if you think back to when Brentford first came up and they beat Arsenal on that opening day on that Friday, I still remember it. It was, it was just, the crowd was so up for it. And if Luton, judging by the results recently, you know, they got beat by two good teams, fair to say. They got beat by Chelsea, beat by Brighton. That's no shame at all. But if they're going to have any chance of staying up, their home form needs to be absolutely perfect. And, you know, after a £10 million renovation, increasing the size of its cameras, its floodlights, I think it's going to be just a great occasion just for the people of Luton as well. I mean, like you mentioned, the last time it's happened was 30 years ago. And if they're going to be going away to these grounds, I mean, when you look at their transfers that they've made, they're very championship-esque and that's got that's no shade to Luton at all you know they're operating on a tight budget at the moment and they probably didn't even realize they would be in the Premier League so soon so it's almost like they're trying to play catch up with the rest of the league who are already pretty established you know with their foundations their infrastructures their squads their finances so I think for Luton it's just a three it's a free throw at the dartboard isn't it go and enjoy it there's no expectation if you go down you get the parachute payment and you slowly build from there because I think right now everyone's thinking oh they're going to go down they've not got a good squad well fair enough they're not prepared for it anyway but I think the home form if there is a chance to actually stay up then the home form has got to be spot on. From a West Ham perspective I thought they would struggle this year but that was before they made the signings that they have made. Do you think they'll continue their good start tonight? Yeah I think they'll they'll be all right I, I don't really you know I, I get the whole oh it's an occasion for, for Luton but Luton are crap honestly. They've, they've got they've showed no uh just organisation at the back. They've been torn apart week after week. I know they've they've had a you know they played Chelsea for example, who were very uh very strong attacking wise. But West Ham have started well, and I think they'll uh, they'll they'll be all right tonight. I can't see Luton getting a point. I don't know where Luton are going to get points this season. Um, but like Joel said, it, I don't think it really matters because if they go down and they get paid and they've got big a big budget in the Championship, you can slowly then, you know reform every year and get stronger and stronger and then eventually when you're actually ready to be in the Premier League you can have a go at it in a few years time but this it it, it all seems a bit soon for me and I think the first three games uh, or two games have been um, have been a sign of that so they need to improve quickly but at the end of the day they're, they're still they're st- they're getting here was their biggest thing I think. Well, they are here. They are in the Premier League and those fans will be really looking forward to tonight's occasion. Eight o'clock kickoff against West Ham at Kenilworth Road for the first time 
this season. Now, there are some interesting games taking place this weekend, and we're going to talk about a couple of them now. I want to start with Manchester United travelling to the Emirates to take on Arsenal. And it wasn't exactly ideal in terms of the result last time around for Arsenal at home, Joel. They drew 2-2 with Fulham. Already given up ground to Manchester City this season, Arsenal will want to go one step further and beat Manchester City to that Premier League title. Manchester United, though, will have big aspirations of their own. Early on in the season that these two sides meet, but two sides expected to finish very firmly in the top four from their own fans' perspective. And of course, there's that little tinge of rivalry as well between the two, one that's always worth watching. Yeah, it's a very different dynamic compared to the last time we played them at the Emirates, which was that 3-2 game that Arsenal won, where Arsenal seemed to be really going into that Premier League title race. And also Manchester United were around the title race at the time. Now, it feels like both clubs are not ready to play each other yet. United have got so many injury concerns. We'll probably have a back four of Wan-Bissaka, Dallo, Lindelof and Martinez, which is pretty weak, so to say. Arsenal have come off the back of a two-all draw with Fulham. I feel like the fans are getting a little bit agitated of what's going on. You know, Gabriel's been on the bench a lot. Arteta's trying to tinker with the formation, playing Thomas Partey as an inverted right back, and he keeps chopping and changing. I'm not sure why. And I don't feel as though Arsenal have such a good a good feel, good factor going into the game as they did in the last occasion. That's why I feel like it's a complete free-for-all in this game. We could potentially go and win it. I truly believe that. But I also think we could get absolutely battered as well because this is some kind of occasion where Arsenal will be so up for it at home and we don't have the strongest record at the Emirates either. I think the last time we won there was when uh, Lingard was doing the Millie Rock in front of the Arsenal fans. So, or the Michael Jackson, I think it was. <laughs> that was the last time we beat them there, which is quite a while ago now. So it's going to be a really tough game. But I think when it comes to these big occasions with Arsenal, Manchester United, the form and the feel going into it goes out the window because the crowd get up for it. The players get up for it. And it turns into a just an electric occasion, doesn't it? But I've, I'm nervous for it, I have to say. Yeah, from a Man United perspective, Marley, it's been the home form, the form at Old Trafford that's really helped establish them as a competitor, you know, at the top end of the Premier League. It's away from home where the struggles have really been for Eric Ten Hag and his players. Last season, if you look at how they started, two poor games against Brighton and Brentford before a home game against Liverpool, winning against a, a big team, a rival team, is always helpful. Do you think that We'll see something similar this time around, albeit it's in an away setting. Or do you think Arsenal just have too much? Uh, I think it's. I think it's going to be interesting because I think Arsenal are obviously the the stronger team at the minute. I think Man United tend to, when things aren't going well off the pitch, it tends to have a bit of a hangover on the pitch. You th- you see them started this season, uh, they were awful against Wolves. They, they should never have got them points, and I know they grinded, they ground it out in the end. But you know they were they were far from convincing in that game and. You look at Arsenal and, you know, Arsenal are trying to, you know, challenge for, for the league off the off the the very good season they had last year. But, you know, it's um it's an interesting one because if I think Man United just need a bit of a a performance on the pitch to to start the season. I think this obviously you mentioned there, they started slow last season. Um and then they was it Liverpool the first team they beat? Um, and then something like that happens and then you set for the season, you ended up finishing third um, and something kicked on. But I feel like when the when the window shuts, Ten Hag will sort of sort it out a bit better and, and you'll see Man United actually come together on the pitch because you can't do anything about it. You can't, um, 
you know, change it until until January. So it's like, right, right, lads, everyone, this is the squad. Let's actually play football now. Whereas, whereas now you're thinking, oh, are we signing Amrabat? We need a we need a, a defensive midfielder. We need a centre back or whatever you you think you may need. Well, we need a left back, and it, it for me it always tends to seep into the to the pitch and the performance. But you know, they need to flush that out pretty quickly because you know. As we see the the standard of the the league leaders, City have won three out of three, and they're not they're not even out of second gear yet. Um, Arsenal are, are doing all right as well, and then you've you've got other teams spending loads of money and and have not competing on on two fronts like Chelsea and uh, and Spurs. Uh, and you're looking at that and thinking Man United could get left behind if if they don't uh, put the off field stuff, leave it off the field, um, and get you know get the performances sorted out on it. Just finally then, another big game taking place this weekend is at the Amex, Brighton against Newcastle United. We've already touched upon Newcastle this season and how they're going to have to balance Premier League football with Champions League football. But last season, they only lost five games. No team lost fewer matches in the Premier League than Newcastle did last season. This time around, though, Newcastle have already lost twice, Joel, and they go away to a Brighton side who have started really, really well. We knew that Newcastle's start was as tough as any of the other teams in the Premier League. Probably the toughest, to be honest. How do you see this one going? I think this is a really interesting game. It's two very evenly weighted teams, I think. When you look at, obviously, prior to this game, Brighton had a slight curveball result where West Ham beat them at home 3-1. So I think playing Brighton at the stadium now is probably the best time to play them before they actually start kicking into gear because let's not forget they've also bought a hell of a lot of new players as well they've got rid of a lot of top quality players in Casado and McAllister so I still think there's time needed for them to gel obviously they've got Ansu Fati coming in so there's a lot of transition going on at the club still but I think for Newcastle as well even last season they were so impressive away from home and I think it's probably the best time to play them. But again, like I say, these two teams, I fully expect them to be at least trying to breach the top six, top five even potentially. But Brighton are a team where even if they're on the back of a really difficult or poor result like the one I just mentioned against West Ham, they always seem to react in a really positive way. And I think the likes of having you know these new big signings coming in, it'll just lift the whole squad and it's going to be, I think, a really closely contested game of the Amex. We, we've t- we tend to match up against Brighton pretty well. Um, the end of last season, you know, we, we comfortably beat them 4-1 at St. James's, but it's a different uh, different proposition down at down at the Amex. I, th- I feel like this it's a fixture where the home team usually gets gets the result. Um, but having beat them four one at St James's Park, where you know they've probably had a better squad than they do now. I think you know if you take out McAllister and Caicedo out of that team, and I know they've brought in good players, but you know is is it are they as good as they were last season? I'm I'm not sure yet. Um, so I'm I'm confident we can get something. I don't think we'll lose, because um, I think the the reality of losing to to City and to Liverpool in such you know disappointing circumstances is is one of those where you use that and say right well the season starts now we've lost two we only lost five last season we've already lost two so it's starting to kick on a bit similar to Man United um, in that way of what I just said before let's leave off the field we're done off the field there's no new signings coming in today. There might be one or two loans leaving or something like that, but nothing, nothing first team wise. Um, so it's one of them where it's time to just kick on now and and settle down into the actual sort of grind of the season. 
All right, well, we'll keep close eyes on tonight because it's transfer deadline day and because it's Luton against West Ham and, of course, the weekend. And we'll be back with you on Monday on Football Social Daily where we'll be running the rule over the weekend's Premier League games, picking out all of our favourite and our least favourite moments at that. So hit subscribe and that way you will not miss it. But from Joel Marley and I, that is it on today's Football Social Daily. Have a great weekend and we'll speak to you on Monday. Football Social Daily is a voice work sport production for the Sports Social Podcast Network.